great philosophical questions of all time. It's what philosophers are always trying to uh, answer. Who am I? And why am I here? Why am I here? You can study the philosophies of the world, and many of them are trying to answer that one question. Who am I and why am I here? Why am I here? If you can't answer that, you're in, you're in kind of a little bit of trouble because you live an aimless life if you have no sense of transcendent purpose. But if you can answer that, let me tell you what you have, and this is what I'm calling this series, The Why Advantage. I'm calling this series The Why Advantage. I'm going to take about four weeks on this because I want us to understand not just how to do a thing, how to do church, but why are we here? Why do we do what we do? Why do you do what you do? Why has God left you here? You ever wonder that? Because some of you have thought, if I'm him, I don't leave me here. But he's left you here. He's left me here. He's left us here. Uh, and so the why, W-H-Y, the why advantage, it, why has everything to do with your purpose, okay? So I'm going to read uh, some verses out of Ephesians 1, just two verses, but I want you to listen how strong this is. Watch this. Paul the Apostle, it's right up here, and this is out of the Living Bible to make it a little more understandable. Here's what he says. It's in Christ we find out who we are. Stop there. I want you to say that with me. It's in Christ. I find out who I am. You want to know who you are? Go to the foot of the cross, get born again, and you'll find out who you are in Christ. All right? But now the verse goes on. It's in Christ we find out who we are. And what is the next part? Read it with me. And what we are living for. How do you find out what you're living for? In Christ. You find out your why, who you are, and what you're living for. Now listen to this incredible statement. He continues, long before we first heard about Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us. Now watch this. And he had designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall what? Purpose he is working out in everything and every one. If I can't preach on that, I can't preach. So we're going to pray together, and then we're going to look at the why advantage. I want the whole church here to have the why advantage. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for showing us who we are and why we're here in Jesus Christ. I pray for supernatural revelation to be on this congregation and on everybody watching online and everybody listening later by radio and social media around the world. Lord, open our eyes to our purpose in Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, you're about to understand why. Amen. Now, when I say the why advantage, let me be real clear with what I mean. Uh, that we understand the two things mentioned in this verse. Who we are in Him and what we're living for. If you understand those two things, then you understand why. It's very important that we understand not just how to do church, but why are we doing church? 
Not just how to live, but why are we alive? Why does God have us here? Are we here by mistake? Are we here by some evolutionary mishap? No. We're here for a reason, for a purpose. And we need to understand our why. Because when you understand why, it gives you an advantage in life. Answering those two questions answers the million-dollar questions of life. What is the purpose of my life? And what is the reason for my existence? Is it just to get up, go to work, put in eight hours, go back home, pay the bills, raise kids, get my 401k and my gold watch, and then die one day? Is that it? Or is there more? You know what's really sad? Many people live their entire lives out never understanding why they're here or what their purpose in life is. That's sad. So you live aimlessly. They live and die without ever experiencing the deep satisfaction of fulfilling God's eternal plan for their lives. They exist. They don't really live. Now listen carefully. God has a transcendent purpose for all of us. And here's what I mean by that. His purpose is bigger than us. It's greater than us. It's better than anything we could ever come up with on our own. Amen. God has a purpose for me. He has a purpose for you. His purpose on earth, here's what it is, is his great plan of redemption through his son, Jesus Christ. That is God's purpose on earth. His great plan of redemption through his son, Jesus Christ. Anything God is doing, it's about that. You want to know what God's doing? It has to do with that. And every believer is called to play a part in the outworking of that plan of redemption through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. A ship may be safe in a harbor, but that is not what ships are for. The ship was created to sail the deep. Now listen, you and I were created to sail, as it were, in the ocean of God's plan of redemption through Jesus Christ. And until you do that, You're just existing and not living. I thank God for purpose. I wake up every day with purpose. I'm not just here to live another day, but there's a reason for me being here. There is a cause for me being here. There is a purpose for me and you being here, and it's bigger than us, greater than us, higher than us, deeper than us, wider than us. It's God's plan of redemption through Jesus Christ. And we're all to play a part in it. One day a man came across three stone cutters working in a quarry. Each one was cutting out a block of stone. And curious as to what they were doing, he asked the first stone cutter what he was doing. What? He said, are you blind? Can't you see I'm cutting this stupid piece of stone? Well, shocked but still no wiser, the man turned to the second stone cutter and asked him what he was doing. He said, I'm cutting this block of stone to make sure that its sides are straight and smooth so that the builder can build a straight wall. Well, a little bit better, but not really any wiser. He went to the third stone cutter, who seemed to be happier than the first two, and said, what are you doing? And he said, I'm building a great cathedral to God's glory. The first two knew how. The third one knew why. And the one that knew why is the one that had the joy. 
We're not just living life. We're building in a great kingdom. And we're all to be builders in God's kingdom. We're to understand why we're here. It's to play a part in his eternal plan of redemption. And we're all builders and contributors and, and, and participators in that plan. Amen, amen. Stephen Covey famously uh, 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 penned a phrase. It's this one. I love this. The main thing. Everybody say it with me. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. How's that? I love that. I wish I'd come up with that. Say it again with me. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. What is the main thing for every believer? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The main thing is a man named Jesus. That's the main thing. And the main thing, say it with me again, the main thing is for me to keep the main thing the main thing. How complicated is that? That's so simple. A first grader could get it. Amen? And so that's why I call this the why advantage. Because if you've got the why advantage, if you understand why, then what you do understand is the main thing for me in life as a Christian is to keep the main thing, Jesus, my main thing every day, 24-7, seven days a week. Not just on Sunday where I punch a clock and do my religious duty and go back home. But no, every day when I wake up, it's good morning, Lord Jesus. When I go to bed at night, it's good night, Lord Jesus. And my whole life is wrapped up in Him, my main thing. Once you understand who you are and why you're here in Him, let me tell you what it'll bring to you. Here's the why advantage. You'll survive virtually any trial. And I'm going to show you that in the next few weeks because we're going to look at three different men that survived bitter trials because they understood their why. You can survive virtually any trial. You can remain focused even in the difficult, dark seasons of life. Third, you will not lose heart with setbacks and disappointments if you understand your why. That's the why advantage. If I understand why I'm here and who I am in Him, I can go through anything and come out on the other side. And you will see God's hand at work in everything around you, be the days cloudy or clear. That's the why advantage. So many Christians these days go through a little trial here and there and they sink. You will never sink like that if you understand your why. Amen? Everybody say the why advantage. See, we're going to leave this series with the why advantage blazing on our heart. So let's start. I want to start real elementary on first base with this whole idea of the why advantage. And let me tell you this. First of all, when God saved you, He had a plan. You say... Well, of course, Jeff, I know he had a plan to get me to heaven. You ask most Christians, well, what did God do for you when you got saved? Well, I'm going to heaven. And we have this understanding that the whole reason I got saved was to go to heaven. Well, that's one of the good reasons. And that ought to get you saved right there. If you don't get saved, you're not going to heaven. But that's only part of God's plan. We've got to get that in our minds. He has a plan for your time on earth and mine. When God saved you, He had a plan. Can you say that with me? When God saved me, He had a plan. 
Jeremiah 29.11. We all know the verse. But let me read. Listen how many times it mentions plans. For I know, says God, the plans I have for you. Declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. I think he had a plan. Amen? So, so now, who's he telling that to? He's telling that to his own people languishing in Babylonian captivity for their own sin. They had royally messed up, but yet God comes to them and says, let me tell you something, I've still got a plan. I've got a plan. If you've messed up today, uh, the devil will come to you and tell you, you're all washed up, you might as well just walk away because you've messed up royally. I counter that with the word of God. Even if you have messed up, God still has a plan. He has a plan. What kind of plan? What, what is it? What did we just read about? Well, they were good plans. They were future plans. And they were hopeful plans to give them a future and a hope. God had a plan for his people. Now you are his people. We are his new covenant people washed in the blood of the Lamb. Born again, children of God. He is our genuine heavenly Father. And that same God that said that to Israel says it to us. I've got a plan. When you got saved, I had a plan in my mind for you. In another place, we see the Lord telling Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb. Who formed him in the womb? God did. Isn't that what it says? Everybody say formed. So who's involved in your formation in the womb of your mama? God is. Before I formed you in the womb. What does he say? I knew you. And before you were born... I set you apart, and I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Now, now, God's plan, notice, was preemptive. He preemptively, on purpose, intentionally formed and called Jeremiah to accomplish his plan before he was even born. And when God saw you and formed you in the womb, he knew of the day that would come in your future when you would call on his son and be saved. And before, and believe it or not, when you were still in the womb, God looked at you and said, their day is coming. They're going to be born again. And when they're born again, I've got a plan for their life. Now, listen to this psalm. You created my inmost being, says David. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And it gets even better. He goes on. You saw me before I was born. And you scheduled, everybody say scheduled, each day of my life before I began to breathe. Every day was recorded in your book. Now, listen carefully. A scheduler schedules something because the scheduler has a plan. And look what he says. I scheduled every day of your life. He said, well, how can that be, Pastor Jeff? Because I had some terrible days. That's okay. God knew your terrible days were coming. He still had a plan. And he still has a plan. Uh, You are on the potter's wheel. You are his workmanship. And his plan is being worked out in your life. We've got to understand that I'm not a mistake. I'm not an evolution. Evolution didn't spit me into time. No, God formed me, knitted me, made me, created me, fashioned me, molded me into who I am. And God had a plan for me before I ever breathed. 
If all my days are scheduled, then all my days have been planned by a great capital P planner. God has a plan. Whether or not you're aware of it, whether or not you fully understand it, that's okay. God's got a plan. And, and, and in case you're still in doubt about this being true of you, let me jump into the New Testament and read you what Ephesians 2 verse 10 says. It is God himself who has made us. Same idea. It is God himself who has made us what we are and given us new lives from Christ Jesus. And long ages ago, he planned that we should spend these lives in helping others in Jesus' name. Long ages ago, one of the versions says, before time began, God had your life mapped out and he had a plan that your life would be a blessing to other people. In Jesus' name. Y'all are so quiet today, you're making me nervous. No, I know what that means. It means you're thinking. Now, now let me tell you, I understand why you're thinking because this is heavy stuff, but it's true. God had a plan for you. Me, my life's so full of mistakes and tragedies and mess-ups and setbacks and disappointments and betrayals. Absolutely, you're going to see the next few weeks. None of that stuff stops God's plan. So watch this. The Bible is teaching that every one of us was created on purpose for a purpose. It is bigger than us, greater than us, and the most fulfilling and rewarding thing we can ever do is plug into God's plan. I'm so glad for the day that I jumped into God's plan for Jeff Wickwire. Because my whole life changed when I jumped into his plan. When I received his plan, accepted his plan through Christ, and began to walk in that plan. It changed my life. I'm not up here because one day I got a good idea that I need to be a preacher. No, I'm up here because God had a plan for me when I got saved in juvenile home as a 16-year-old juvenile delinquent with long hair, skinny as a rail, and with no future at all. God touched me, and when I got saved, I had no idea of the plan he had. But it began to unfold as I followed Jesus. So, so... When you got saved, say it with me. When I got saved, God had a plan. Now, here's the second thing. This is simple, first base, elementary, but please get it. God's plan begins when you get saved. God's plan begins with your salvation. Do you know that God's desire is that for every human being on earth to be saved? That's God's desire. Listen to what it says in 2 Peter 3, 9. God isn't really being slow about his promised return. If you ever wonder, where's Jesus? If I was God, I'd wrap this whole thing up today. But why is Jesus tarrying? Why hasn't he come back yet? We're about to read it. He isn't being slow about his return, even though it sometimes seems that way. But he's waiting. Why? For the good reason that he's not willing that any would perish. And he's giving more time for sinners to repent. Catch that. 
why is God waiting? Why is he watching all the suffering? Why is all the stuff going on in the world, all the terrible things, yet God waits? Why? Because another one's going to get saved, and another one's going to get saved, and yet another one's going to get saved. The day will come when the last one gets saved, and God will turn to his son and say, go get your bride, and the trumpet will blow, and Jesus will come. But until then, why is God waiting? He doesn't want anybody to perish. He's waiting for people to repent. To be saved. That's how important it is that you and I and that people are saved. God's waiting for that. He created us to fellowship with Him. And and when we reject the salvation He offers, we also reject the plan He has for us. It's after we're saved that we discover God has plans good works for me to involve myself in. Let me read Ephesians 2.10 from another version. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So that there's a reason we got saved and it's more than just heaven. So that we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. Why did I get saved? Well, yeah, for heaven. But until I get to heaven, it is so that I can involve myself in good works and glorify Christ. See, see, here's the deal. Notice, you'll never participate in God's plan unless you're born again. You're never going to know God's plan unless you're born again. You're never going to walk in His will. You're never going to experience His favor. You're not going to enjoy peace with Him until you're born again. But the moment, the microsecond you're born again, he begins to work out his plan. So, so you've got to be saved before you ever know his plan. When we turn to Jesus for salvation, the doorway to God's plan for your life is swung wide open. But until then, you're on the other side. You'll never know his plan. You'll never glorify him. You'll never walk with him. You'll never enjoy his presence. It all begins with getting saved. We got to get saved. That's why we share the gospel all the time. We got to get saved. People need to be saved because so much happens when somebody gets saved. Not only are their sins forgiven, and not only are they delivered from hell to heaven, from lost to found, from blind to sight, but they're also ushered into God's plan for their life. One day, a number of years ago, I decided it was in a Christmas season that I was going to go and rescue a dog from the shelter. It just came on me. And I decided I'm going to go do it. So I went to the shelter. And I'm walking through all these cages, and it's a hard thing to do. But I see this little mixed-breed puppy way back in the corner of a cage all by himself. And looking at him, I knew several things. One, I knew he was terminal. It was a kill shelter. I knew if somebody didn't adopt him, get him out, they would one day put him down. So he was terminal. He just didn't know it. I knew he was imprisoned in a cage. He's imprisoned in a cage. And I also knew there's no way he's ever coming out of this cage unless somebody pays the price to get him out. And I knew that as I looked at him, I had a plan for him. I had a plan. That's why I was there in the first place. Because I had a plan. 
And my plan for him was something like this. I wanted him to be a part of my family. I wanted him to bless my children with companionship and with joy. I wanted him to walk beside me and get to know me. And I wanted to teach him and train him and provide for him and take care of him. And ultimately, I wanted to bring him to my dwelling. I wanted to bring him to my house. All these plans awaited who I would later name Ollie. But here's the deal. It hinged on him coming to me. Because he's way back in the... I couldn't reach him. So I said to myself, if he comes to me, I'm taking him. So I said, dear little guy. At first he looked at me like, ain't no way. You got that deep voice, I'm not getting near you. But I said, come on, come on. Finally, he gets up and he takes a few careful steps my way. Close enough where I could snatch him into my arms. And deliver him from the cage. And pay the ransom to get him out and take him to my home. And I thought this, I might have said it to him, you just took the most important little steps of your life. (laughs) Now let me tell you something. You think you and I are any different? You think Jesus didn't walk around? Because this whole whole earth is a kill shelter. And so Jesus comes to all the cages, and he looks in. And he gives the call, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, whoever believes on him, comes to him, will not perish, but have everlasting life. And we hear the call. And and if we don't come to him, we never know what we missed until we die. But if we take those few hesitant steps towards him, amen, you you, you find that he, he saw me in my cage of sin. God sees you and I in the cage of sin, the cage of bondage. We're all in it. We're in a cage of sin when he first sees us. And he knows we're going to perish if we're not delivered because it's a kill shelter. He knows it. And he's already paid the ransom to deliver you and me. He's already slapped down on the desk the only currency that can set us free, and that is the blood of Jesus shed on the cross for you and for me. And and once you do, you soon discover... Once you come to him, that it was about far more than just getting you out of the cage of bondage. No, no, no. There's no way that once Ollie was out of the cage, I was just going to leave him in front of the cage sitting there, you know, rejoicing that he's no longer in the cage. No, I had a plan way bigger than just getting him out of the cage. And God has a plan way bigger than just setting you free. He has a plan for your whole life. And here it is, just like what I had for Ollie, to walk with him to get to know Him, to be a blessing to His children and to be trained and taught and provided for by Him and that your life would be to His glory by the various good works He's planned for you before the world even began. And of course, ultimately, He's going to take us to His house. His house. His house. Amen? Amen. His house. And it all begins, folks, with coming to Him. Have you come to Him? Have you really come to Him? You better think about it. Have you come to Him? 
Maybe there's just one here today that hasn't. I don't know. I don't know everybody here. But we should think about it because Jesus looks into the cage of our life. He sees the bondage and he says, come to me, come to me, come towards me and I will take you and I'll get you out of this. I'll get you out of here. I'll deliver you. I'll bring you into my plan. But you got to step towards him. Have you ever done that? Have you ever stepped towards him and said, God, forgive me. Forgive me, Lord, for my sin. And, and I, I accept what you did for me on the cross. And thank you for the currency that you have laid down to set me free, the ransom paid, the blood of the lamb. Thank you for that shed blood. And, and, and how can we neg- neglect so great a salvation? Amen? And so his plan is never known until you're saved. So the important thing to ask, the biggest question in all of life is this one. Do I know Jesus? Do I really know Jesus? Have I been born again? Has my life changed? Do I talk to him, walk with him, get to know him better every day? Do people see a change in my life? Has my lifestyle changed? Has my, have my beliefs changed? Have my values changed? Have my morals changed? Am I a child of God? Because once you're there, his plan is every day being worked out in your life. Amen? Amen. Last thing, base one, is this. Getting involved in what he's doing. Getting involved. The why advantage is to get involved in what he's doing. Now, we call this good works. How many of you know God's always moving? God's always doing something, but it always relates to his great plan of redemption. That's what he's doing every day. He's about souls being saved. He's about the church being built up in the faith. He's about us becoming like Christ. But everything God is doing on this planet revolves around his great plan of redemption through his son, Jesus Christ. So listen to what Jesus said about you and me. You are, everybody say, I am. The salt of the earth. And then he said, you're the light that shines for the world to see. You, not the Republicans, not the Democrats, not Libertarians, not Washington, not any politician. There's no hope in men. No, the light that is shining in the world is the church because they've been lit by the great light, Jesus Christ. So you are the light that shines for the world to see. He said, you're like a city built on a hill that cannot be hidden. So live so that they will see. Now watch this. Look up here. Live so that they will see what, everyone? The good things you what? Do. Good works. And they will look up and praise your Father in heaven when they see the good works. So part of the why advantage, you get saved, you begin walking in His plan, And when you start walking in his plan, you get involved in good things, doing good things. We call them good deeds, good works. We do it in the name of Jesus. They don't save us, but they testify that we have been saved. So good things you do. That's how the light shines. That's how our light shines, by the good things we do. So doing good works. Well, what are they, Pastor Jeff? Well, I can tell you. Telling others about Christ. That's a good work. Feeding the hungry. Uh, visiting the sick and the imprisoned. I was in prison. You came to see me. I was sick and you visited me. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. Using your spiritual gift to encourage other believers. Helping others in practical ways like tent menders. 
That's a light. That's a, that's a light. Beverly's neighbors have seen all this going on. What is all that? Well, their church is over there fixing her bathroom. You think that doesn't shine a light? And they go, oh, so the church isn't all about grabbing people's money. The church is about good works. The church is about showing the love of Jesus in practical ways. This is the way our light shines. Are you with me, everybody? God wants every single believer to be involved in a good deed. Good, good deeds, good works, good actions in the name of Jesus for His glory, not ours. We don't do it so people will look and go, oh, aren't they spiritual? I don't care about that. But I do want them to see when we're fixing Beverly's bathroom, I, I want them to, to look up because it says they will praise your Father in heaven because they know you're real when you do things like that. It shines the light. Amen, Amen Pastor Jeff. You're preaching good. Amen. So what kind of good works are, are you and I involved in right now? What kind of good works, what good works have, have, have you done in 2023? Are you involved? Are you doing anything? Can I encourage you? There, there is a dimension of blessing from God you'll never know until you get involved in good works. Good works in His glory, to His glory. Good works that point to Him. Good works that let others know that the love of Christ is being manifested in practical ways that lost people in the world can see. Are you involved in church? Are you serving in the church? Are you going out in any of the outreaches, Charles, Amy, and going out to the streets and witnessing for Christ? Are, are, are you doing any of that? Is any of that? When you understand this, you know your why, who you are, and why you're here. So, let's stand together. I want you to say with me, just, let's just summarize this. When God saved me, he had a plan. His plan begins with my salvation. His plan involves getting involved in good works that point to him. That's Christianity in the raw. That's real Christianity. I don't want people thinking we're here to get their money Oh, that makes me sick. There's things money can't buy. All money does is gives us the ability to do some of these things because we couldn't do the tent mentors without your giving. But I'm not always after, no, I don't, I'm not always after your money. I'm after you. I want you. I don't want yours. I want you. Growing in grace. Glorifying Him. Living a life that honors God. Can you bow with me for a moment of prayer? I'm going to ask a question. Just imagine it's you and me in this room alone. I'm just talking to you. Let me just talk to you for a minute. Forget about everybody around you. And just listen to me. We're talking. Do you know that you're saved? Do you really know? Do you know that you know that you know that you're born again? If there's a question mark, let me remind you, I was saved in a juvenile home at 16. 
I'm not pointing a finger of blame at you at all. But I am saying God sees you in the cage and he's saying, walk to me. Take a few steps towards me and call on my name and I'll save you and deliver you and begin to work out my plan. So do you know, have you taken those steps? I'm going to say a simple prayer. And if you've got a question mark in your mind about whether or not you do, then I want you to pray it with me. I invite you, I urge you to pray this with me. It's a simple prayer, and we're going to take those few steps to Jesus. So pray this with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I come to you. I believe you died for me and rose from the dead so that I could be saved from this cage of sin. Forgive me, Lord, of all my sin. I accept the ransom you paid for me, your shed blood. And I believe on you. Come into my heart as Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name. And with every head bowed, if you prayed that with me, would you lift your hand? I'm not going to embarrass you, but I want you to lift your hand. Lift it high if you prayed that with me. God bless you and you. God bless you and you over here. God bless you. And oh, back over there, yes, I see you. God bless you. And way back in the back, I see you. God bless you. What a beautiful sight. When you prayed that prayer, everybody with your hand raised, look at me. When you prayed that prayer, God forgave you. Now, listen carefully to me. I'm going to dismiss the service in just a moment. And I'm going to ask you to come down and let me meet you. When everybody is kind of headed out the back door, don't you go out the back door but come down to me, okay? Do I have, can I get your amen, I'll come? Come meet me. Back here, you, will you come? Because I need to give you something to take home with you. So come down and meet me. And in the back, I'm gonna wait for you, okay? I saw seven, eight people, it's a beautiful sight. Uh, and how many of you are glad you came to the house of God today? <clears throat> amen, amen.